This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. For two decades, the IBM Center for the Business of Government has sought to connect research to practice, engaging authors and academics who, in their research and studies, contribute in some form or fashion to changing the way government does business. There have been times in our history when new technological discoveries lead to indelible changes in our lives. We are living in one of those times. Artificial intelligence, AI, in government involves the building, designing, and use and evaluation of cognitive computing and machine learning to improve the management of public agencies. While public agencies are in their early days of experimenting with AI, these efforts are bound to intensify. With the promise of artificial intelligence no longer so far into the future, federal leaders are delving into the possibilities. Agencies using it range from the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, USCIS, which deploys an AI-based online virtual assistant to answer questions from citizens and immigrants, to the Intelligence Advanced Research Projects activity, which has tapped the technology to improve facial recognition. How is the public sector using AI? And what are some of the key challenges and opportunities in the public sector's use of AI? Today we will explore these questions and so much more with Kevin D'Souza, author of the IBM Center Report, Delivering Artificial Intelligence in Government, Challenges and Opportunities. Kevin, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. It is great to be on, Michael. Uh, Kevin, before we delve into it, would you describe for us core aspects of artificial intelligence, AI, and what are some of the key milestones in AI's evolution? So, so I think the the key components of uh, AI, um, I would uh, break it down into four elements. So, one is the large amount of data that that goes into any AI uh, any AI technology that helps the algorithms learn and train based on the data. So. One is the large amount of, of data. The next is the learning algorithms that have the ability to uncover patterns and associations among the collection of variables. Uh, number three is the ability of the, of the technology to interact with humans in a pretty natural and normal manner. And so, so you don't have a human thinking that they are actually dealing with an artificial tool. 
And then four is the ability of the tool to adapt based on changing conditions in the environment. So as new data arrives that it needs to process, it has the ability to learn from its experiences and adapt its uh, learning mechanisms. Now, in terms of the key milestones, I think if you look at the history, especially over the last probably 20, 30 years, uh, you have the instance of IBM's Big Blue in, I think it was 97. Then you have 2011 when uh, Hudson uh, took on uh, Jeopardy. And then uh, most recently, I think a, a, a critical event happened where a tool designed by researchers out of out of Carnegie Mellon were able uh, to actually uh, compete and outperform the world's premier poker players. And so you have seen the evolution of AI from the ability of computers to uh, process large amounts of uh, data to uh, computers where they are able to predict strategies to now where you have uh, technologies uh, who are able to actually bluff. Uh, and so that's a pretty human trait, the ability to bluff. Uh, and so I, I would say that those are a few of the key uh, events in AI history, especially over the last probably 30 years. Uh, Kevin, AI-inspired systems are being deployed in almost every field, including healthcare, education, public safety, finance, international development, and the arts. AI systems apply a wide assortment of cognitive computing techniques. Would you detail for us the functionalities of cognitive computing systems? Yeah, I mean, so as uh, noted early on, uh, I think they have large amounts of uh, data, they have learning algorithms, and they have the ability to adapt. However, in the uh, particular particular deployments where we have seen them go live, uh, they have a couple of added elements. So one is they have deep domain knowledge in the area that they are being deployed. So if you have a public safety cognitive computing uh, tool, they will have large amounts of domain knowledge inbuilt about public safety. Uh, the other thing is they are mainly deployed to augment, not replace, but augment the human experts. So uh, the way I would differentiate this is you can have a lot of technologies that actually automate aspects of uh, everything that we do. However, cognitive computing uh, tools um, are a higher level of information technologies where they actually augment human experts where the capabilities of human experts need augmentation because they are limited. Humans cannot process large amounts of data and they cannot deal with information at a rapid rate like a machine can. Uh, Kevin, the public sector has begun exploring the use of AI across a myriad of domains. Uh, would you identify examples of how cognitive systems can help public agencies to free up their workforce from tasks that are ripe for automation due to their structured and predictable natures? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think 
if you look at a lot of agencies um, from immigration and border uh, protection agencies to even housing and urban development agencies where you have large amounts of structured information, humans do not need to be involved in processing data where the rules in terms of how to uh, how to go through that data is pretty well defined so in leading uh, immigration and uh, and customs a- agencies you now have cognitive computing tools that process up to 80% of the incoming applications and the reason being is you only need humans to get involved in cases that are deemed to be outliers where there where there needs to be a human to apply their uh, their their tacit experience to actually examine the nature of a application in other cases you have ai tools uh, that are helping the public interact in a more effective way along with the uh, government agencies so uh, examples of these are chatbots that actually help a citizen get access to information on an agency's website uh, rather than having a human worker receive a call about ru- routine information that is already available on a website, but uh, but an a individual cannot get access to it. So now a lot of agencies have actually deployed chatbots where uh, if, if anybody has a query, there's an AI tool that helps them resolve it rather than a human worker. And so the human experts uh, are only involved in cases where the machine cannot answer the issue. And so those humans then have an ability to retrain the AI tool, give it some feedback, and so over time they improve. Uh, Kevin, how can AI systems enable agencies to increase the speed with which transactions are processed? And more importantly, how does this enable them to reprioritize the assignment of tasks between humans and machines? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the the key learning that I've had um, in uh, talking to a number of a- agencies is that uh, as we are going through this evolution in terms of technology, we have also um, seen a, an evolution in terms of the public workforce, and so we have more. Uh, quote-unquote, graying of the workforce. We have a new generation entering the workforce. And so there's a very nice opportunity uh, to look at the AI tools and to actually think through the design of work in public agencies. And so one of the ways AI is helping is it's focusing agencies on actually thinking through where can humans add value above and beyond simply processing transactions or simply classifying information? And so if you look at a large number of work processes, they have to do with routine input-output kinds of transactions, or it has to do with classification of information. And so these are things where machines are going to be so much better uh, uh, given the large volumes that we're dealing with. However, 
humans are, on the other hand, have traits like empathy, have, have, have traits like higher levels of information processing and richer mediums. And so a lot of agencies right now that I know of are actually in the process of transitioning their workforces to, to actually do what they were designed to do that was actually serve the public and so interact directly with the public in meaningful ways rather than just being like, a, like an automated uh, machine that has to respond to rules. And so uh, we are seeing this happen right now, but it's going to take a few years for these changes to actually reach any scale. In what ways can AI help accelerate innovation in public policy frameworks? Yes, and, and, so, and so this is an extremely important question that you have asked. Um, and I think this is where the future uh, is, is uh, to be determined. So I'll, I'll just give you an example. So um, a couple of weeks back, I uh, gave a major presentation to a large uh, public audience of, of, uh, of federal government. And in my discussions with this group ever since, it's all been around this question about, yes, we know that AI can help us achieve efficiencies. However, how can AI actually help us be more effective? And in order to be more effective at, in um, aspects of public policy, we need new frameworks. And so this is one area where I think AI can help us think through things like ethics, think, uh, help us think through how do we revise our legal frameworks that are built on human-to-human -human interactions. However, we are soon going to have mediated interactions uh, through uh, artificial entities called uh, in the physical world, those may be autonomous cars, but in the logical world, those may be two AI uh, algorithms that are interacting. And so right now, this question that you have asked on innovation uh, in public policy frameworks, there's, there's early conversations happening. However, uh, uh, the key point that I keep stressing to individuals is we cannot think about the future of public policy frameworks as an incremental change to our existing ones. It, what we need to do is rethink how we actually design the, the next generation frameworks. And so um, one th area that I'm seeing a little movement on where I think we have a lot to learn is in the whole autonomous vehicle space where uh, individuals are grappling with incidents where we have machines fail and are trying to think through the the, the entire policy frameworks. So, Kevin, uh, interesting. What uh, prompted your interest in applying AI to government? Actually, um, most people um, uh, do not know this, but in 2000, um, when I was a doctoral student, um, my first book was actually titled Managing Knowledge 
faith artificial intelligence. Um, and so I, I have been interested in artificial intelligence based computation from, from an engineering, from a technical viewpoint for quite a while. Um, but in 2000, it, it, it was not a popular area of uh, work. And so more, more recently, um, especially after examining um, large-scale data analytics in public agencies through a, through a previous IBM uh, report uh, project, I, I got fascinated with the fact that these agencies were going to be deploying AI. Uh, they were experimenting with it. However, they lacked general guidance on how to do this in an effective manner. And so that spurred my interest to actually take on this project to build a few, few guidelines to help agencies uh, think through their AI journey in a more systematic manner. And, and as a follow-up, Kevin, how did you conduct your research? Yeah, and so um, working along with a group of, uh, of colleagues, um, we not only interviewed um, various uh, individuals across all levels of government who were either consumers of AI technologies or were in the business of actually implementing AI uh, tools um, and processes. We also drew on our own work. And so I had a team that was building AI tools uh, for a range of policy problems. And so we, we actually examined issues we ran into, uh, whether it was issues around uh, the robustness of algorithms or um, the availability of data, things like that. And uh, then number three is I had the opportunity to actually um, um, write and share briefs of the, of the report uh, with a large number of senior uh, public officials and received their comments that, again, were inputs into future research. What practical steps can government leaders take to leverage artificial intelligence? We'll explore this question and so much more when our special edition of the Business of Government Hour, A Conversation with Authors, returns. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Why does the U.S. Department of Defense lack an auditable financial statement? What has DOD done to get auditability? What challenges are faced in getting audited financial statements and how can DOD do better? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Peter K. Levine of the Institute for Defense Analyses. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour, the Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 on Federal News Network.
Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors, exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Kevin D'Souza, author of the IBM Center Report, Delivering Artificial Intelligence in Government, Challenges and Opportunities. In October 2016, the U.S. White House National Science and Technology Council released a report that outlined the state of artificial intelligence at the time and its potential impact on society. Uh, Would you do us a favor and elaborate on the findings of this report? And more importantly, how has it influenced the way forward in leveraging AI in the public sector? Yeah, absolutely. I think think the the report... um, on its own, I I think um, what it did was uh, actually raise the awareness uh, among among agency leaders across the U.S. government on AI and its impact. However, I think the really nice thing uh, that preceded the report was a number of workshops that were done across the U.S. uh, where you had um, individuals from government, individuals from the private sector, and individuals from academia host these forums uh, where debates and and discussions happen on everything from ethics, law, uh, the impact on public good, the impact on the economy from an automation viewpoint. And so you had a conversation that happened around the report. And so the physical report, I think it uh, raised awareness. It was pretty detailed in terms of the impacts of of AI at a number of levels um, from an an economic um, uh, viewpoint. And it also had a, had a call there where it was asking agencies to to not ignore this this emerging technology but actually think through in a proactive manner how can the agencies work and and their impacts uh, or 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 their value how can they be leveraged and extended due to this emerging technology. And so not to fear it, but actually to think through in a proactive manner. AI systems are highlighted in three distinct phases. Uh, as you point out in your report for the IMEM Center, they are planning, developing, and deploying. Uh, Kevin, I'd like to explore each phase. And so why is it important to begin with a strong business case for AI and, and perhaps you can uh, elaborate for us on what are the key elements of a high-level business case? So, um, like, like any technology, um, tools are available that can address a, a range of issues. However, they have to make uh, sense in, in the context of the organization and the project realities that that the tool is being considered for. And so what I find is agencies that have a strong business case have actually gone through the process of thinking through and rationalizing the need for the investment into a journey on AI. So I'll give you one instance. AI tools, um, as 
as you note, um, go through three main phases. And so uh, they will never be at 100%. So they, due to their ability to constantly learn and adapt, you have to keep investing in these uh, technologies as they increase their proficiencies. And so if you don't think about that up front, you might be able to make an initial outlay uh, to deploy the algorithm or deploy a human computer interface. However, uh, you don't realize that you, you also need to invest in having your human uh, employees actually train the, the uh, technology and you actually have to redesign the nature of work. And so having a strong, strong business case is essential. The, the key elements are number one, what is the organization slash business slash administrative problem or opportunity you are trying to address? Number two, what is the current performance of your existing process tool application? So do you have a baseline on current performance? And then number three, how are you going to free up and slash invest in the resources required to get an AI technology uh, to the point of implementation. And so those are the three big things that I um, try to see in a business case. Developing AI systems should focus on organizing data, training systems, and performance testing. Would you describe for us the key elements of the development stage? How can machine learning tools and algorithms help identify patterns in data sets and build predictive models? Yeah, and so I think the, um, so the key, um, key elements uh, of the, the uh, developing phase normally are, number one, um, data cleaning, data integration. And so this is where you spend um, significant amount of, uh, of time and resources just making sure that you have the necessary data and, and the data that you have is the most representative of the problem that you're trying to address. And so um, in any agency that, that I know of, this normally requires drawing on data from probably three, four, or even up to 20 different information uh, systems that may not be uh, easily connected. Then you have to clean the, the uh, data uh, you have to remove duplicates, make sure things are integrated. And so that's a significant um, uh, activity. Next, you have to decide on the range of available learning algorithms and choose the right collection of them. It's normally not just one. You normally have to uh, have two, three, four of them uh, and begin to check their performance in terms of predicting the outcomes or connecting the variables needed uh, depending on your problem. And so the most common ones being neural networks, 
or uh, but you also have things like genetic algorithms uh, you also have association rules and each of these things learns very differently association rules uh, help you just uh, find common patterns between many different variables and neural networks uh, are higher order uh, tools that help you design um, pretty complex algorithms where uh, you are trying to predict one or more outcomes. Um, and so you have to train these algorithms um, and this normally requires quite a bit of work and integration of domain knowledge on the issue because just linking one plus one it means different things uh, depending on what do, do those things represent um, and if they're actually meaningful. Once the algorithms perform at a, at a given rate, you, you then actually try to see if they um, meet the test of um, getting ready to be deployed. And, and the way you test them is you give them new data and compare their results with a human decision maker or if it's historic data where you already know the right answer, you see how is the algorithm performing to data that they have never had a chance to interact with before. And Kevin, as a follow-up, what is required in preparing to move from development to deployment for this given topic? So this is an extremely hard question. I think the it comes down to a couple of things. Number one is what is the domain that that you are operating in? So if you are operating in the domain of healthcare slash clinical medicine, so to speak, uh, you have to have a pretty high confidence in the algorithm. However, if you are uh, doing it in terms of uh, deploying a chatbot um, to interact with uh, humans to help them process information on a website, you might be a little more tolerant to errors. And so uh, one is the domain that you are operating in is going to determine um, what is um, the level of confidence required. And then number two is is the process in terms of how you how you how are you going to deploy it? Are you going to deploy it along with humans so that it is not being deployed on its own, or are you going to deploy it right away without any human intervention? And so those are the key, kinds of key questions one has to consider. So um, it's appropriate and normal that most organizations actually think through their deployment strategy very carefully, but it's, uh, it often comes down to the domain and the kinds of data and what is the intentions of the, uh, of the cognitive computing tool. In the initial deployment, uh, cognitive systems support people who track, monitor, and test their performance and usability. What goes into the deployment phase? So I think um, when these tools go live, um, 
they are normally deployed along with um, human workers. And so one might think of this as the human being the supervisor or the monitor of the tool. And so as these tools get deployed, especially in the initial phase of their deployment, you actually have two people doing a given transaction or a processing an event and you are comparing the results. So you are making sure that um, the tool is performing at a level acceptable. Over time, what happens is, as your confidence in the tool increases, you don't need the human to actually uh, work alongside the machine on every transaction. However, every, let's say, 100 transactions or so, uh, the human worker goes in and, and they are actually doing a little audit to see how is the machine actually performing, what are the kinds of problems that um, where the machine has struggled and it's routed that query to a uh, uh, human worker. And so then the human has the ability to give the tool feedback. Uh, and so they may go in and actually correct a previous transaction. They may go in and add feedback in, that helps them improve the precision of a given output. And so over time, um, uh, only the transactions that are designed to to be routed to humans are actually routed, and the machines have the ability to operate pretty independently, especially after they have had significant experience and training from the uh, human experts. What does the future hold for AI in the public sector? We will explore this question and so much more when our special edition of the Business of Government Hour, A Conversation with Authors, returns. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. Download Transforming Government through technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org.
Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors, exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Kevin D'Souza, author of the IBM Center Report, Delivering Artificial Intelligence in Government, Challenges and Opportunities. So, Kevin, public agencies face challenges when it comes to leveraging AI, and you point that out in your report for the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Would you outline for us the technology and data challenges facing public sector agencies in this area? Yeah, I think I think I'll um, I'll focus on uh, a challenge in each category. One is on the technology um, and agencies need to modernize their information technology to actually take advantage of these next generation tools. And so uh, this is a challenge. However, it's also an opportunity for these agencies to actually think through how to retire legacy infrastructure and even in many cases leapfrog a couple generations and build next generation tools and technologies that have AI capabilities. And so one is the modernizing um, of the IT infrastructure. Related to that, on the data issues, right now most agencies, and I hate to generalize, but um, this is pretty common, are very rule driven. They uh, they have a hard time uh, taking advantage or moving towards evidence driven decision making. Where um, if if new data questions existing rules, normally the rules win in many agencies. And so one of the big data challenges is how do you begin to change the culture of agencies? Uh, to be more real time, to be more dynamic, and to and to take advantage of data and be more evidence driven. So, Kevin, what are some of the key opportunities you identify in the technology and data area? And um, so, one is modernizing uh, of the IT infrastructure. Uh, number two, that is becoming increasingly important, is to think through interoperability. Because again, when you have cognitive computing tools, they they can only perform if they have representative data. Uh, and and what we find right now is a lot of agencies have extremely siloed data views of the world. And so there's a significant opportunity to increase the situational awareness. Uh, on a range of domains, problems, policies, if we link and and make our existing IT infrastructure interoperable. And so those are key opportunities. And the third one that I'll highlight um, is, especially recently, we have seen a, a number of incidents associated with uh, cyber uh, risk um, many of those can be traced to legacy systems. And so agencies have an opportunity uh, to actually build better information technologies that can better protect data in a data-rich world. 
The growth in the use of cognitive systems will impact how the public sector thinks about its workforce. Uh, so what are some of the key workforce challenges in this area that are facing public agencies? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, uh, we've, we've uh, talked about it early on. I think um, the key challenge is how do you um, go about um, modernizing your workforce? Um, so so um, how do you build a, a workforce in an era where uh, they are not going to be the sole and the only executors of transactions or data classifications. The other one in terms of the workforce, uh, and this is related to how we think about the workforce, we've always assumed a culture of ownership. Um, And so when a public agency goes and acquires anything, uh, they the default has always been let's own it. Over the last few years, we have gone to a model of let's rent stuff. Um, And so that's a significant improvement from where we were. But now I think even in terms of the workforce, we have an opportunity to actually think through how how do we make our organizations more permeable to external actors who want to contribute and external uh, agents that that have expertise, but they don't want to always work uh, for agency X or Y. And so AI technologies open up a whole new possibility to how we even consider designing organizations when it comes to their workforce. So, Kevin, as a follow-up, what are some of the key opportunities you identify in the workforce area? Yeah, yeah. and so I think the so 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 here one of the big opportunities um, is deploying technologies to augment uh, human workers, and and so we. Um, we have an opportunity to increase employee satisfaction by taking away the routine, boring work uh, that actually nobody wants to do. Uh, So one is the redesign of of work. The other one related to it is, is, is to actually engage our our current um, current domain experts in this exciting project of of building next generation of technologies. And so in agencies um, where they are actually rewarding their higher performers by having them contribute to the fundamental design, the fundamental deployment and implementation activities associated with cognitive computing tools, these domain experts that have been doing a given um, uh, activity for years actually identify new ways where they can contribute where the machines have reached their limitations. And so uh, being proactive in how you engage your workforce in designing 
and testing and evaluating AI technologies, I think is a significant opportunity. And then the third one that I'll uh, end with is, is the opportunity to shape new, new collaborative alliances uh, with uh, um, the private sector, academia, um, and even NGOs, nonprofits, where you are able to build next generation tools in a newer way. And so rather than having external agencies build it for you, you engage in a partnership where you are co-creating the next generation of AI tools um, because uh, everybody needs to bring a critical ingredient to make these tools uh, a reality. So an agency may have the data, another one may have the algorithm capability, other one may be able to actually have the test bed in place, the other one may, may have the domain knowledge. And so we have an opportunity to, to actually develop next generation of collaborative partnerships. Recent breaches of public and private IT systems are well documented, Kevin. What are some of the key risk management challenges in implementing AI in the public sector? So, um, so this is a this is a hard question, um, and the reason being, um, when we think about risk, um, I think everything um, uh, we do has has an element of risk in it. And I see AI tools as having the same amount of risk as everything else um, when it comes to information technologies. Yes, they can fail. Absolutely, they can break down. They can also give incorrect outputs, so on and so forth. What I think is a deeper issue is when these tools fail, what do we compare them to? Right, and so uh, I use the example of autonomous cars. Um, we all know, and it's well documented, that uh, many, many lives are lost uh, based on uh, individuals uh, driving under the influence, uh, individuals being uh, distracted as they drive, so on and so forth. But when we have one death, and I'm not um, questioning uh, the significance of that individual's uh, life or anything, but one death through an, through an autonomous vehicle, everybody uh, um, gets scared because of the risk. And so to me, uh, one of the things that I've been trying to communicate to people is we need to think about this in a more realistic way. Yes, uh, the key things when you think about AI, AI tools are, number one, uh, is it making decisions that are representative of the population? And so making sure, sure that these tools don't have any biases. Number two, making sure that they are protected so, so that uh, nefarious actors cannot interfere and compromise them. And uh, number three is making sure that as they are deployed, 
they remain true to their goal of advancing the public good and uh, holding them accountable to these goals. And as a follow-up, what are some of the key opportunities you identify in the risk management area? I think one is um, we have an opportunity to uh, come up with new ways to audit and inspect uh, these autonomous tools. Uh, Number two, uh, I think for the first time, we are having conversations associated with what values do we want to incorporate into uh, technologies and how do technologies represent and prioritize the, the values of a given society in which they are going to be deployed. And so we are rethinking uh, values and how they get incorporated into tools. Uh, number three, uh, we have an immense opportunity to leverage crowdsourcing platforms to help us think through, help us test, and actually audit uh, AI tools. And so crowdsourcing um, and its combination with AI technologies, I think, is a wonderful opportunity to engage the the collective in both the design, monitoring, and evaluation of technologies. And Kevin, in, in implementing AI systems, it is important for agencies to scan their environment to assess their current level. And maturity models, as you point out, are valuable tools to help agencies refine their processes, capabilities, and systems. Um, Would you elaborate on the maturity model you outline in your IBM Center report? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think I love um, maturity models due to this simple fact that they help you benchmark where you are and it helps you connect to where others in your domain are. And then number three, it gives you a, a framework on where to invest so that you get the most amount of return on that investment. And so in, uh, in our research, we were trying to map out how various agencies uh, fell um, in different levels uh, based on their experiences, based on their knowledge and based on their current activities in the in the cognitive computing space. And so level one is an agency that's unaware um, about the opportunities. Um, And so these agencies are normally the ones struggling just to keep their IT infrastructure updated. Um, There's limited uh, um, care in terms of data governance from an agency-wide perspective, uh, and uh, they um, lack capabilities in terms of how to seriously protect their assets from being compromised. And so, obviously, these are the same things we advocate that uh, they have to invest in and prioritize if they are going to move to what we call level two, which is aware and exploring. Now, these agencies have some knowledge about AI and cognitive computing tools. Um, they, they are interested, so, so they have a, uh, a 
positive outlook as to the the potential for their agencies and their uh, projects to uh, advance. And so here we really recommend that they look to form early uh, collaborative partnerships uh, along with academia uh, to initiate uh, key exploratory projects uh, and begin to think through how these early experiments and the results from them might lead to larger deployments. Uh, at level three, we have the organized um, and initial deployments. And so these are agencies where uh, they have seen the results out of their early experiments and are now in the initial phases of uh, deploying one or more cognitive computing tools. Um, here, our recommendations are more on the process. And so, like one of the recommendations is, you know, look to opportunities that cloud computing, open source, may be able um, to provide rather than having to build everything on your own. Initiate public-private partnerships to take advantage of the vast amount of technologies that are out there rather than, again, building it on your own. Uh, leverage crowdsourcing platforms and also look to your peer agencies because you might be able to do an initial deployment across one or more agencies rather than doing it in agency A and then having to replicate in agency B and replicate in C look to uh, gain from economies if there's cross-agency opportunities. Level four is deployment at scale. Um, these are agencies where you have one or more AI slash cognitive computing tools uh, deployed across the agency. Uh, here, again, we, we advocate for thinking through uh, the audit and inspection processes. We also ask them to uh, look at how these uh, uh, technologies are improving service delivery. Level five is our end uh, level, and here is where you see agencies innovate along with their uh, cognitive computing tools. They are constantly refining them uh, and uh, keeping them current. Uh, and they are also redesigning their workforce plans. They are redesigning their administrative processes to now fit a reality where there is this other resource, and it's a pretty significant resource, cognitive computing tools, that are helping them achieve their mission uh, objectives. And um, at, at this level, you, you also have these agencies develop pretty robust, proactive monitoring tools um, to track unexpected outcomes. So, Kevin, what's next for this topic? How does the future look in this area? I think, uh, I mean, I am always an optimist, and so I think the future is bright. Um, I think what's next is we need to have the next level conversation about what in um, the report was level 
two and three. So agencies who are at the early exploration phases or agencies where they have had initial deployments, there needs to be an exchange of key learnings uh, so that we can speed up the adoption and reduce the duplication of effort. The other thing uh, along um, this whole area is we need to rethink our policy framework. So the UAE not too long ago appointed a minister of artificial intelligence. Uh, different, different communities have appointed individuals tasked with thinking through the policy implications of of an autonomous um, uh, world that we might be living in soon. And then number three is we really need um, to rethink uh, a few of the fundamentals uh, that we take for granted when it comes to the nature of our society. So uh, I'll just use one example. Um, we have built societies on um, the view that after uh, 18 or after 20 years old, you are going to work for eight hours of a day or something like that. Well, the future, that's not going to be a reality. And so how do we rethink our social contracts, our, our fundamental design of communities where a lot of the things that we take for granted are not going to be there a few years from now. That's great, Kevin. Thank you for joining uh, me today. It's a, it's a wonderful report for the IBM Center for the Business of Government. I appreciate your work, and it was good to talk to you. It was my pleasure, Michael. Thank you. This has been a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors, exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Kevin D'Souza, author of the IBM Center Report, Delivering Artificial Intelligence in Government, Challenges and Opportunities. You can download this and all Center Reports at businessofgovernment.org. Be sure to join me next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. Why does the U.S. Department of Defense lack an auditable financial statement? What has DOD done to get auditability? What challenges are faced in getting audited financial statements and how can DOD do better? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Peter K. Levine of the Institute for Defense Analyses. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour, the Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 on Federal News Network.